All right, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. We are back in our journey through Romans um, chapter 12. Don't think I'm going to get too far into it. I think this is going to be a two-parter this um, week. Just because I think it's so important as we get into chapter 12, you'll see in these opening verse and the opening seven verses, the, the calling of the seventh verse is to walk in your calling. And my calling is to teach. I'm going to walk in that calling today. But because that's my calling and the importance of what I have to say... And to some of you, you've already had the ears to hear and the eyes to see. You'll know what I'm talking about. But there's a whole slew of people out there that are coming in from the church, coming in from the nations, hearing this message for the first time and need to be warned, need to be admonished because of the days and the times that we're living in. Just recently we saw um, Donald Trump. I was a little bit disappointed. I thought that if he, I knew he was going to go to the hotel, to the Western Wall, I thought that he would at least put on a mag hat instead of a kipper. But he was there with his um, Jewish kippur, kippur up there, up on the Western Wall, with the um, Jews praying. It would have looked way better with making America great for a head covering, don't you think? But, you know, he chose not to take that. I think that would have been way politically more expedient for him in the long run. But all that to say this, as we open up in verse 1, you'll see where I'm going. Look what it says. I beg you, therefore, Israelite brothers, by the mercy of Yahuwah, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to Yahuwah, listen, which is your act of reasonable temple service. Think about that. which is your act of reasonable temple service, is one translation. Now, many of your scriptures are going to have some different translations there. Can you give me something else? Reasonable worship. Anybody else? Yours says, which is your reasonable service. Anybody else? This kind of worship is appropriate for you. We'll get into the Greek of the text, and then we'll give you another translation. Let's continue on. But this message today is a warning, an admonition, because we know that we are living in the times nearing the end. I believe that we're in those times where we need to be very, very discerning because there is a great deception out there and it has everything to do with the state of Israel, what's called the Temple Mount. Those have been following this ministry for some time know that that, in fact, is not the Temple Mount. That Kotel wall is not the foundational wall for Herod's Temple, but a foundational wall for the Anatonia Roman fortress that had housed a legion of Roman troops that, in fact, the Kotel, the temple wall, was about 900 feet further south in the city of David. So we've got a huge deception going on. There's going to be people trundling up to the so-called temple mount. There's going to be the reinstitution of animal sacrifices, the reinstitution of a Levitical priesthood. And where you stand and how you act in relation to that will be your very life. 
One of the greatest disservice of the 20th century was the coining the phrase Judeo-Christianity, which birthed Christian Zionism, which birthed the Messianic movement and Hebrew roots, which has caused a bed of confusion when it comes to end-time teaching concerning Israel, temple, sacrifice, priesthood, and Torah, which is what we're trying to correct Not to be lawless, heaven forbid, but not to go headlong in destruction following the Ashkenazi to the Antichrist. That is not what we want either. Torah, 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 all the way to deception. There has to be a balance, and that balance is following the high priest Yahushua and the covenant Torah that he established. Book of the Covenant Torah. Look at verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the ongoing renewing of your mind. This is something I struggle with daily. Because in my position of a teacher and wanting to understand the word, I also believe I have a responsibility to be able to bring the word into today's current events. But then I have to be careful not to get so sucked into reading the news and trying to relate that to Scripture that you can become quite oppressed by what's going on in the world. So I have to limit how often I do look at the news. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to Fox or MSNBC, heaven forbid. I mean, I'm, you know, legitimate news because we're discerning, but still have to be careful not to get consumed by it because the charge is that we have a renewing, ongoing renewing of the mind. And the only way we can renew the the mind, excuse me, is by the daily washing of the word and prayer, is it not? So we have to make sure that we temper the word and that we do not overconsume in media which is today's generation, it's all at our fingertips because the charge is to be transformed by the ongoing renewing of your mind that you may discern what is good, acceptable, and even the perfect will of Yahweh. So the problem that we have and that we're going to have more and more is going to be a lack of what? It's a lack of discernment. People, and you're like, are caught up in all kinds of sin, in all kinds of erroneous theology, and it's not because they're not smart people. It's not because they didn't read their word. It's because they have a lack of discernment, which is a spiritual gift, is it not? It's a spiritual gift that takes a clean vessel for you to harbor and grow that gift. If you have a soiled garment, you're not going to be able to be spiritually discerning because you're in the muck. You can't see the wood for the trees. That's the greatest gift that we can have through the Holy Spirit in these days is what? Discernment. Discernment above all things. For I say, through the grace or unmerited favor given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he should. So we are to walk in meekness. But to think soberly, as Yahweh has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For we 
have many members in the one body of Israel. So now, Shaul, Paul is going to explain to us how we function. He's going to explain to us in Yahushua how we operate. It's not one man and everybody else is sitting low on the totem pole. That's a pagan term. Low in the pecking order, right? No, it's that we are of one body. We all are of one body and we have different functions within that body. And he's going to go on to explain now. But we as many members in the one body of Israel and all members have not the same role. So we, being many, are one body of Israel in the Messiah. Each one members one of another, having them gifts differing according to the grace or unmerited favor that is given to us. Whether it is prophecy, then let us prophesy according to the measure of faith. Or some service, let us serve. Or he that teaches, let him teach. So it's given to us according to the measure of faith. So we want more, then you've got to increase your faith. You've got to be visionaries. You've got to step out. And many people will come to me and say, what can I do? I say, step into it by faith and you will find increase. It's just, it's just a natural or a spiritual law. Step into it by faith and you will find the increase. And because of the calling of verse 7 for me, I'm not going to be able to get much further than verse 7 today because everything that I want to talk about is within these first seven verses and I need, it's a burning desire within me to be able to teach it because I fear for people's souls in these last days concerning these opening verses of Romans chapter 12. You do realize that there has been a Pesach Corban or a a Passover sacrifice um, committee going on in Israel since I think around the early 2000s, 2003, 2004. There has been a Pesach Corban, a Passover sacrifice committee that has written to the um, prime minister, written and sent legal documents to the Supreme Court, legal documents to the security services in Israel, petitioning legally that they would be able to commence, restart the Passover sacrifice. Now, the the chief court, I forget, the Supreme Court in Israel has agreed that it is their legal right to be able to perform that sacrifice. But they haven't signed off on it for one reason. Not because they don't agree, because they do agree. But they haven't signed off of it. They haven't had the prime minister and the chief security forces sign off of it for one simple reason. Security. Once they can figure out the security, they're quite willing to let them go ahead and start the Passover sacrifice in Israel. That's according to the Supreme Court because they've been petitioned year in and year out since the early 2000s by the United 
mid-cash movement, which is very politically active in Israel. And maybe some of you are aware of this, and maybe a whole lot of people out there are unaware of it. But it's happening. It's happening. The um, Temple Mount faithful who have wanted to set and have tried to set the cornerstone numerous times. And then, of course, there's the Temple Institute, all very active. There's the um, um, Sumerians um, that were involved in the Passover sacrifice reenactment the past couple of years, again this year. There were Jews that were arrested on their way up to the Temple Mounts with bleating goats this year by the security services because they fully intended to sacrifice goats for the Passover sacrifice up on the Temple Mount just recently, arrested. So it, it is spreading and people have the desire. And if you go on the websites, you go on the Zionist, Christian Zionist websites, Christians are excited Woohoo! This is about bringing back um, the Passover sacrifice. This brings the days of Christ much closer in jubilee and excitement in support of this action without thinking about the spiritual and scriptural ramifications of what you're agreeing with. Of what you're agreeing with, which comes down to a lack of discernment. Discernment. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it is written, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7, Be not ye there partakers with them. We need to have the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment. Do you realize they don't even need the construction of the temple to begin the Korban Pesach, the Passover sacrifice? They don't even need the construction of the temple for that to begin because Jewish law permits Korban Pesach without the temple's construction. In fact, the remaining Jews, after Titus destroyed the temple in 70 of the Common Era, for the next 600 years, do you know what they did at Pesach until the Mohammedans came in the 6th and 7th century? Pesach Corban. For 600 years, they were still sacrificing the Passover lamb up there on the temple When there was no temple, 600 years after Titus came along, the only reason they stopped is because the Mohammedans wouldn't allow it. And why isn't it happening now? Because the Mohammedans won't allow it. Not because Jewish law doesn't permit it. Not because the majority of the Ashkenazi don't want to do it. The same reason it stopped in the 6th and 7th century. I love history because it tells us where we're at today. There is nothing, as Solomon said, new under the sun. And once they change the politics and they secure the territory, then guess what? You're going to have to make a decision. And what you decide in relation to this topic will be your very soul. 
So it truly is very important. Look at verse 1, because now I want to go into some historic writings. This is an oldie but a goodie. Some of you that have listened over the years will remember some of these ancient texts. But it's going to set the framework for the thinking, the mindset, because we need to renew our What does it say? We need to renew our mind. You can get so caught up with all of this Christianese or Messianic or whatever that's going around now in the 20th and 21st century. But how about we renew our mind to what was going around in the mindset of the believing community in the first couple of centuries through the source texts that they had in regard to the opening verse of Romans chapter 12. Let's renew our minds just to see if it sparks any understanding of what the scriptures say to us today. Is that my microphone? Okay, I'm good. So that's kind of like I'm getting a little shock here. Now, is, is that one of the brothers in the back? I'm not sure. I, this is jerry rig today. It's got duct tape on it. Yeah. All right. Shock and awe. But verse 1, I beg you therefore, Israelite brothers, by the mercies of Yahuwah. This is setting forth the stage today because we need to be discerning and we need to be wise, not in our own opinions. Let's visit some texts from way, way long ago. The early Ebionite Nazarene disciples' creed is where they actually agree with Paul here, and they rejected the animal sacrifices. This is the early Ebionite Nazarenes. Verse 1, I beg you therefore, of chapter 12, Israelite brothers, by the mercy of Yahuwah, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to Yahuwah, which is your act of reasonable temple service. I like it when we get back into the Greek, not to Greek you out or freak you out, but we'll connect it back to the Hebrew through the Septuagint. Let's make sense of verse 1. The Greek word here is chumon, logikos. What do you think that means? Human logikos lateria. It's the logical temple service for you. It's just logical. It's the logical temple service for you. And now it gets even better because the Greek word that is with logikos is the Greek word lateria. And lateria, where does that come from in the Septuagint? Where does the word lateria come from in the Septuagint? Exodus chapter 12, verse 25 and 26. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word abodah, and it is connected to the Passover sacrifice. Now, those of you need to meditate, let's say selah. Think about what I've just said. I have now taken you through the Bible, not my imagination, which would be a vain imagination of men, but I've taken you now through the Bible in one verse. I've now shown you in the Greek what that means 
connected it back to the Hebrew through the Septuagint and found that the source text, the genesis of the word, is in the Passover sacrifice in Exodus chapter 12, verse 25. And we're talking about Yahushua. And we're talking about sacrifices. And now Paul's telling us what is based upon this, your logical temple sacrifice. What's logical to you? Is it logical to you to kick Yahusha, the ultimate Passover sacrifice, out of the way and go running up to the temple mount? Or is it logical to you that you're going to clean, like the master said, the inside of the cup and you're going to now continue to what? Purify yourselves because that's the logical service for you to render unto Yahweh. This is solid exegesis. How we are using the Bible to help us understand. It is the safe way for us to walk in a very dangerous and deceptive world. This is discernment based upon the word of Yahuwah. Not on mystical weirdness, but on the Bible. Chumon logikos Lateria, the very first verse in Greek, connects you back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 25 and verse 26, to the Hebrew word abodah, ayin bet dalit hay, abodah, it is your logical service unto Yahuwah regarding the Passover sacrifice of Yahusha which was foreshadowed all the way back in the Exodus. So this word's genesis is prior. Listen, it's prior. This word's genesis is prior to any man-made tabernacle or temple construction, isn't it? When was the temple, the tabernacle constructed? Not until Exodus chapter 25. So the genesis of this word has got nothing Absolutely nothing to do with a temple and a tabernacle. Can we agree? Nothing. Do you see what you can do with one verse? Through prayer and study. And most and above all, discernment. Just one verse. And there is nothing that you can do to unravel that. Except throw away the word of Yahweh, heaven forbid. That's why I like to teach people to teach so that we can teach one another. And then the more of us that are armed with the word of Yah, then we are strong men taking the city from those that would try and lead you to destruction. And nowadays, when people challenge the book of the covenant, book of the law paradigm, I don't even have to answer it. Because there's so many of you online that understand this as much or greater than me. That just go wild. Because you're all armed with the word of Yah. And that is a testimony to me. That is a testimony to me. Because I'm a facilitator. And then you guys dig in and you bring things. I'm like, I, I, I would have loved to have included that in the teaching. But I didn't. I missed it. But together... 
we, we can grow. And that's how it should be. And that's inspiring to me. So we can see that this word's genesis in verse 1, connecting back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, is prior to any man-made tabernacle or temple construction. So it's insane to me. Insane to divorce the word from its biblical origin to force a re-established altar and man-made temple secular worldview into the lens of this verse. Does that make sense, John? Okay. Now, I want to talk to you about the writings of Athanius, and he wrote um, against heresies in about 375 of the Common Era. So that was only 50 years after the Council of Nicaea and the established religion was put forth. So 50 years after 325 of the Common Era at the Council of Nicaea, um, Athenius comes along and he writes against heresies, or what's called the Panarion where he goes from Adam all the way forward and he writes, I don't know, 1,000, 1,500-page um, on papyri sheets about all of the 80 heretical sects from Adam forward. The, the established religion at the Council of Nicaea deemed heresy. Now, if you look at the dictionary definition of heresy... You're all heretics, and so am I. Because a heretic is anyone who goes against the established Catholic 325 of the Common Era tradition, which I do. Therefore, I would be a heretic. If you keep Shabbat, you're a heretic. If you keep the feasts of Yahuwah, you're a heretic. If you don't eat pork, you're a heretic. That is the Um, Webster's Dictionary definition of a heretic. We do not adhere to the established doctrine of 325. So it's interesting to me then to to read the Panarion, which was translated into English, I believe, in the late 80s. It's a great, great read, about 1,500 pages or so, about the 80 heretical sects from Adam all the way forward. Because you can read about the Ebionites, you can read about the Nazarenes, and you can read about some of these heretical sects around the um, time of the writing here, 350, 375. And you can see in the first couple of centuries what was going on. And of course, the victors write the history, don't they? So the Catholic Church writes the history because they were the victors all the way up until the time of Martin Luther, and now your co-victors are both the Protestants and the Catholics. They get to write the history and interpret what is the right way for you to go. But that doesn't mean that it is so. So let's look into some of these writings, because in Against Heresies, um, Epiphanius, I have a a tough time um, pronouncing his name. Can anyone help me on that? It's quite a mouthful. Let's go with epiphanies. That's easy, isn't it? I like that. Let's drop the vowels at the end. He talks about the Ebionites, the Ebionites. And this is what he says, and he calls them a heretical sect. The Ebionites. Listen, quote, The Ebionites do not accept Moses' Pentateuch, that's the Torah, in its entirety. 
certain sayings they reject, stating, Christ has revealed this to me and will blaspheme most of the Levitical legislation. I read the entirety of the Torah. It is the word of Yahweh, and it is inspired. It is from Yahweh. It is holy, just, righteous, and good. But I understand that the book of the covenant is covenant, and it is for us to live. And the book of the law was added for transgression. So I understand that I do not walk out the Levitical legislation in its entirety. So I would be in agreement with the Ebionites based upon this. This is not meaning that you are diminishing the word of Yah, heaven forbid, but you are rightly dividing it as the Ebionites understood that the Levitical legislation is part of the book of the law it is not in the entirety of the Pentateuch that you would follow, correct? I'm right there. He who has the eyes to see, let him see, and the ears to hear, let him hear. The Ebionites do not accept Moses' Pentateuch in its entirety, meaning they understand that you're not going to walk out Genesis from Deuteronomy all the way through, because if you did, you'd have to what? walk in a Levitical priesthood offering Levitical sacrifices and that would be in conflict with the writings of Hebrews and Galatians and the very triumphant priesthood of Messiah. They understand that there has to be a division within the Pentateuch. The Ebionites understood that within the first three centuries and they're called heretics just as you and I are called heretics today. Now let's continue on. They state that Christ has revealed this to me and will blaspheme most of the Levitical legislation. This is in Panarion 30, 18, 7 to 9. And then Phineas then quotes the Gospel of the Ebionites, Hebrews, where Yahushua declares, I have come to destroy the sacrifices. Panarion 30, 16 and 5. Now, in the Gospels of the Nazarenes, Yahushua said this. Just let this just wash over you. I love reading some of this ancient stuff because it renews my mind. For they, making a god of their belly, sacrifice to their god the innocent creatures of the earth in place of the carnal nature within themselves, and eating their flesh and drinking their blood to their own destruction, corrupted their bodies and shortened their days, even as the Gentiles who did not know the truth or knowing it have changed it into a lie. You see, only those who make their body vessel a living temple and sacrifice the inner carnality are grasping what Paul's talking about here, right? What good is there in sacrificing animals if you're not living right before Yahweh? It's futility. That's what Isaiah the prophet says. So now we understand the words of Paul when he commanded the Gentiles in Colossians 3.15, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your carnal nature. Right? Right? Or the requirement where it is, for if ye live after the flesh, you shall die. 
But if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, Romans 8, 13, you shall live. Which means we have to transform that carnal nature, that old man. We have got to transform the inner man into a living sacrifice ready and fit for the altar. And I've got to tell you, it's going to be a daily daily struggle. Jacob just testified. It's a daily struggle. Those old natures, those old ways. And a lot of the time, if we don't renew our mind, we can get caught up in those old behaviors. I'm guilty. And it's often because I'm not renewing my mind enough. My mind has that old programming in it. Old programming in it. Turn with me because Daniel is going to give us the key to understanding Romans chapter 12, the temple deception. Rome, um, Daniel chapter 8. I'm going to give you a couple of different translations again because I think you're going to enjoy it. Daniel chapter 8. Let's look at verse 9 in the book of Daniel. Chapter 8, verse 9. How are you doing, Larry? You with me? And out of the one, them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. It cast down some of the host and the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host and the daily sacrifice... Was, what does it say in your translations? Does anybody have anything different than was taken away? Does everybody have was taken away? And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And the place of his sanctuary, of course, where is Yahuwah's sanctuary? Yahusha is Yahuwah's sanctuary. The place of Yahuwah's sanctuary, which is Yahusha, is going to be cast down. Daniel's telling us something. Yahusha is going to be cast down in people's minds because they haven't been renewing their minds, Romans 12. So we need to make sure that we're constantly renewing our minds, that we're cleansing the inside of the cup. We're living as a living sacrifice because if we don't, we could get caught up in the blunder of casting Yahusha down. Daniel 8 verse 11 has been translated, was taken away. All of you said yes. None of you had a different translation. But if you look up in your Strong's Concordance what that word is, it is Strong's number 7311. It's the Hebrew word rum. The Hebrew word room, Strong's number 7311, has been translated as taken away, and I think it's wrong. Because this word's meaning comes from the context of raising or rising, and has more often been translated as to exalt or exalted. More often. More often it's translated that way. The Hebrew word rom 
has been used 209 times in the Old Testament, the Tanakh. And the overwhelming support of the interpretation of this word shows that it means to actually rise or to exalt. That's different, isn't it? It means to rise or to exalt. It has several times been actually translated as to take up or to take from. But in context of what we're reading, it's always been in a sense of raising, not taking away or casting away, but raising, which changes our whole theology if we read this correctly And it's going to give us the keys to not being deceived in these days as we tie it in with Romans chapter 12. Daniel, he uses this Hebrew word Rome 13 times in his writings. And of all of these times, the 13 times, they're always used in the context, always used in the context of raising something up to an exalted or high status. So then why here is it translated as the opposite? Why? Because it's the Daniel deception. It's the Daniel deception. Because the ones that translated this were the Masorites. The ones that printed it into the King Jimmy were none other than the Catholics and the Protestants. And everybody that says otherwise is a heretic. But you may find that the heretics, maybe the early Nazarenes and the early Ebionite Nazarenes were in fact the orthodox believers that were living right before Yahweh. The early Ebionite Nazarenes were living an orthodox lifestyle when it came to approaching the temple of Yahweh. That you are living stones. That you are a living sacrifice. In fact, what's really weird about Daniel chapter 8 verse 11, in some manuscripts the word rom is used actually twice consecutively. Look at Daniel 8.11, because the literal translation of the text, when Ram is used twice consecutively, would be thus. He was magnified before the prince of the host, and the daily sacrifice was exalted. The exalted cornerstone of the holy place, that would be the Messiah, was cast down. So, I hope you're tracking with me here. The exalting, listen, the exalting of the daily sacrifice of bulls and goats or any blood other than Yahusha's is the abomination. That's the abomination. The exalting. We've been told by the Messianic and Hebrew roots and Christian Zionists that guess what? When they put up the animal sacrifices, this is exciting. Get around it. Go up because this, this is the sign that the Messiah is coming back and everybody is hurrah, hurrah, off to Jerusalem we go. Whoa. 
whoa, let's turn that one on its head and make a decision of where you stand and who you serve. This is a sobering message that affects your very soul. This is the Daniel deception based upon the Masorite translation, the Protestant and Catholic translations, because the ones that understood this text were none other than heretics like you and like me. They went against the orthodoxy of the Council of Nicaea, or they were just antichrist, those that say they are Jews than are not the Masoretic scribes, the Masoretic text. So, you can see this even in the New Testament with Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23, cross-reference it with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18, very clearly. This places the prophecy of Daniel's midst of the week. You know that infamous midst of the week? The starting with the daily sacrifice being called back not being taken away. So the midst of the week begins when you see that sacrifice being called back, that then begins what? The three and a half years. Not the knocking down of it, or the shutting down, but the calling back, the exalting of a sacrifice and the denigration of Yahusha's sacrifice. You're knocking down the temple of Yahuwah, Yahusha, and you're exalting another sacrifice in his place. That's what Daniel says right there. Look what it says in the opening verses. Verse 11 of Daniel chapter 8. Ye have magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and the daily sacrifice, not being taken away, is replaced, is exalted, is lifted up, and the place of his sanctuary, which is Yahusha, is cast down. You're exalting the animal and casting down the sacrifice of Yahusha. Then, when? Then, that's the midst of the week. That's the Daniel deception. That's the Daniel deception. Let's look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. There's your three and a half years. But the Hebrew word here for taken away is Strong's number 5493. It's the Hebrew word kur, and the word has a meaning of turning. Not taken away, but of turning. Because the translation of taken away actually appears, if you look at it, to be in direct contrast to Daniel chapter 8, verse 11. This can only be reconciled by determining what is being turned from. What are you turning from? It's apparent from the context that they're turning from one thing and turning to something else that is an abomination. You are turning from Yahusha and you're turning to something that is an abomination, the Levitical animal sacrifices. It's the turning. It's the turning. They're turning. And I've seen it for a decade. 
I've seen more people turning away from Yahushua, away from him as Malkitzedek, Kohen, Haggadol, and chasing after the Levitical hierarchy. And they're leading the way. And Christian Zionists are getting caught up in the sidelines. And they're all leading the way. All leading the way. The Hebrew word kur means a turning. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be a turning away, there's going to be that turning away at that point. Daniel 12, verse 11. And from the time of the daily sacrifice shall be called back, i.e. a turning away from one realm to an abominable realm. That's what it is. You're turning away from the realm of Yahusha to an abominable realm of the Levitical hierarchy. At that point, and the abomination that makes desolate set up, and there shall be a 1,290 days, three and a half years. Let me repeat that for you. Read along with me, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be called back, I want to see lots of pencils right now, scratching and writing in, because this is so important in your Bibles. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be called back, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days, or three and a half years, knowing, knowing this, that any animal or daily sacrifice is sufficient. That is insufficient. It's insufficient. We've got to understand that. The translation of the word kur means to be called back. What this means is the daily sacrifice would be called back to prominence, which is what we're seeing in the political realm in Israel right now, which would be a turning away from the true Melchizedek sacrifice, Yahusha, and turning to the unacceptable Levitical sacrifice, the sacrifice of blood, bulls, and goats, of which the Ashkenazi settlers were arrested this year on the way up to the Herodian fortress to do the very that very thing. So the prophecy of Daniel's midst of the week starts with the daily sacrifice being called back, not being taken away as the Messianic and Hebrew roots teach. The elevation of blood of bulls and goats is the end time casting down of the one true sacrifice, Yahushua. Look at verse 2 of chapter 12 of Romans. And be not conformed to this world. You have to understand that if our president right now, within just the first few months of his presidency, is going over to Jerusalem and standing with an Ashkenazi kippur on his head, touching the Western Wall, has that got everything to do with the world? Has it got everything to do with politics? Has it got, is it expedient for his political career for him to do that? You bet it is. So therefore, should we be watchful? Because we're not to be like that, are we? We're not to go headlong running where politicians go headlong running to. We're to be a different kind of people, aren't we? I mean, that's enough for me just to be a little bit discerning. Right? 
Be not conformed with this world, but be transformed by the ongoing renewing of your mind. Maybe we should read some more texts from the first, second, and third century to help renew our mind a little bit. How about the Gospel of the Nazarenes? Let's read that. This was the Gospel known as the original Gospel of the Holy Twelve. It wasn't published until 1870. Just wash in this. Just sit back. I know you don't have it in front of you, but you can go online and maybe you can even order it. Chapter 28. I love this. Yahusha releases the rabbits and the pigeons. Chapter 28, verse 3. You believe that Moses indeed commanded creatures to be slain and offered in sacrifice and eaten. And so do you in the temple. But behold, a greater than Moses is here. And he comes to put away the bloody sacrifice of the law and the feasts on them and to restore to you the pure oblation and unbloody sacrifice as in the beginning, even the grains and fruits of the earth. Instead of, but behold, a greater than Moses is here, The more recent translation, the 1997 translation reads, I have come to light the way back to the law, even the true law of Moses. That would be the royal law. That would be covenant Torah. That's what Yahushua's done. He's come to light the way back to the book of the covenant Torah, of where there is not animal sacrifice, but there is a greater sacrifice than those of the Levitical requirement, the book of the law. There's a division. And now we can read on. So we're connecting back with texts that are 17, 1800 years old. And because we understand the book of the law and the book of the covenant paradigm, we can understand these texts in clarity. This isn't doing away with the law of Moses, heaven forbid, but it is rightly applying the covenant Torah of Moses into our lives in light of Yahushua as the high priest. goes on to say this, I have come to light the way back to the law, even the true law of Moses. Of that which you offer to God in purity, you will eat. But of that kind which you offer not in purity, you will not eat. For the hour comes when your sacrifices and feasts of blood will cease, and you will worship God with a holy worship and a a pure oblation. Let these creatures therefore go free, that they may rejoice in Elohim and bring no guilt to man. And the young man let them free, and Yahushua broke their cages and their bonds. So you can tie this in with the book of John quite easily with the temple changes, can't you? Now, in chapter 49 of the Gospel of the Nazarenes, it talks about the true temple of Elohim. Chapter 49, verse 3, it says this. But the true temple is the body of man in which Elohim dwells by the Spirit. And when this temple is destroyed in three days, Elohim raises up a more glorious temple, which the eye of the uncultivated man does not perceive. That's our problem. The eye of the uncultivated man hasn't a clue what we're talking about. In the 1997 translation, it reads, which the eye of the carnal man perceives not. 
Don't you know that you are the temples of the Holy Spirit? And whoso destroys one of these temples destroys himself. So you can see how this is going along with Scripture, can't you? Let me continue on. And some of the scribes, hearing him, sought to entangle him in his talk and said, If you end to the sacrifices of sheep and oxen and birds, what is the purpose of the temple for Elohim which Solomon built, which has been now been in restoration for the last 46 years? And Yahushua answered and said, It is written in the prophets, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, and for the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. But you have made it a house of slaughter, and you have filled it with abominations. Again it is written, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, my name will be great among the Gentiles, and incense with a pure offering will be offered to me, but you. Oh, you, you have made it a desolation with your offerings of blood and used the sweet incense only to hide and cover up the stench of ill savor thereof. I have come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Don't you know what is written? Obedience, brethren, is far better than sacrifice, and to attend to what is being said is better than the fat of rams. Oh, I, the master, am weary of your burnt offerings and vain oblation. Your hands are full. They are full of blood. Aren't the true sacrifice specified in the very writings that come before? Wash and purify yourselves. Take away the evil from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Do justice for the fatherless. Do justice for the widows and all those who are oppressed. In doing so, you shall fulfill the very Torah. The day will come when all those who are in the outer court and that which pertaineth to blood offerings will be taken away. And pure worshippers will worship in eternity, in purity and truth. And they said, Who are you to do away with the sacrifices and to despise the seed of Abraham? You have learned this blasphemy from the Greeks and the Egyptians. And Yahushua said, Before Abraham, I was. And now you know where the writer John got it from in chapter 8, verse 58, right? Gives you the context to John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. And they refused to listen. And some said, he is inspired by a demon. Others said, he is mad. And they went their way and told these things to the priests and to the elders. And they were wrath, saying, he has spoken blasphemy. Now, in chapter 71, this ties in with John chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this. Chapter 71, verse 1. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Yahushua went up again from Bethany to Jerusalem. 
He found sitting in the temple those who had sold an oxen, sheep, and doves, and the changes of money. And when he had made a scourge of seven cords, he drove them all out of the temple and united the sheep and the oxen and the doves and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said unto them, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Is it not written? My house is a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of thieves and filled it with all manner of abominations. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel of blood through the temple or that any animals should be slain. So according to the early believers, Yahushua was not up for the animal sacrifices. He was not up for it whatsoever according to the early writings of the Ebionites and the Nazarenes. In chapter 86, the Nazarenes write this. When Yahushua appears in the temple, the actual blood sacrifices, they cease. This is after he's resurrected from the dead. He appears in the temple. And the moment that he appears post-resurrection, according to the Nazarenes, boom, the blood sacrifices cease. Now you can connect that with the writings in the Talmud, and they'll testify that the blood sacrifices cease too. But they won't admit that it was because Yahushua post-resurrection appeared. They'll leave that out. But you can connect this with various ancient writings and come up with the same conclusion. Something happened and the blood sacrifice ceased. But the Nazarenes, they're going to give you the detail. Verse, chapter 86, verse 1. Of course, this is post-resurrection. The same day, at the time of the sacrifice in the temple, there appeared among the dealers in beasts and in birds, one clothed in white raiment, bright as light. And his hand, there was a whip of seven cords. And at the sight of him, those who sold and bought fled in terror. And some of them all fell as dead men. For they remembered how before his death, Yahushua had driven them away from the temple enclosure in the same manner. And some declared that they had seen a spirit, and others that they had seen him who was crucified, and that he had risen from the dead. And the sacrifice ceased that very day in the temple. For all were in fear, and none could or were willing to sell or buy, but rather they let their captive animals go free. And the priests and the elders caused a report to be spread, that they who had seen it were drunken and had seen nothing. Kind of like when they began to speak in tongues, they put out that same report, did they not? But many affirm what they had seen and that they had seen Yahushua with their very own eyes and they had felt the scourges upon their backs, but they were powerless to resist. For when some of the bolder among them put their hands forth, they could not seize the form which they beheld nor grasp the whip which chastised them. And from that time they believed in Yahushua that he was sent from Yahuwah to deliver the oppressed and free those that were bound. And they turned from their ways and they sinned no longer. And to to others he also appeared in love and mercy and he healed them by his touch. 
and he delivered them from the hands of the persecutor. And many like things were reported to him, and many said, Of a truth, the kingdom, it has come. And some of those who had slept and risen when Yahushua rose from the dead appeared and were seen by many in the holy city. You see, this is tying in with the post-resurrection of the saints. And a great fear fell upon the wicked, but light and gladness came to those who were righteous in heart. This is amazing. Again, this is for the renewing of our mind to give us the understanding and context of what Paul's talking about and how the early believing community realized what Yahushua had done with the sacrifices. I want to read to you now from the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. And this is from the Testament of Levi, okay? This is from the Testament of Levi. This is from the Testament of Levi 5, chapter 5, verse 1. I saw the holy temple and upon a throne of glory the Most High. And he said to me, Levi, I have given thee the blessings and the priesthood until... What does until mean? That means there's going to be a point of change when you're not going to have it. Until I come and sojourn in the midst of Israel. So according to the testament of Levi, you've got the priesthood until Yahushua comes and sojourns in the midst of Israel. But once Yahushua comes and sojourns into the midst of Israel, it ain't yours anymore. The priesthood is transferred, which connects with all of the New Testament writings. In the testament of Levi in chapter 8, verse 13, it is thus written, And the first portion shall be great, yea, greater than it, shall none be. But the second shall be the portion of the priesthood. And the third shall be called by a new name, because a king shall arise in Judah, and he shall establish a new priesthood to all the nations. And his presence is beloved as a prophet of the Most High, of the seed of Abraham our father. Testament of Levi chapter 14 verse 2. It says thus, For our father Israel is pure from the transgressions of the chief priests, who shall lay their hands upon the Savior of the world. And ye shall be puffed up, prideful, because of your priesthood, lifting yourselves up against men. Today, what do we have? We have puffed up, prideful men teaching about the temple the Levitical sacrifice, it's because they are puffed up and prideful and they are leading people astray. And nobody has the esoteric secret knowledge or the level of intellectualism as the puffed up, prideful teachers. It's not for you, the layman, for me, the layman, but it is. Because the word is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. We just have to be in it. And we have to come along together and be disciples. Testament of Levi, chapter 15, verse 1. Therefore the temple which Yahweh shall choose shall be laid waste through your uncleanness. 18.1. The priesthood, it will fail. Then, when, then Yahweh will raise up a new priest. 
18.6. And from the temple of glory shall come upon him sanctification with the Father's voice as from Abraham and Isaac. Notice that the true priesthood always connects back to who? Abraham. 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 And Levi Testament 18 verse 9. And in his priesthood the Gentiles shall be multiplied in knowledge. Look what it says now back in our text of Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace unmerited favor given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he should. We have got to walk in that meekness. All of us. All of us. And when I was prideful, it was when I was in the Messianic movement. I thought I knew it all. Surrounded myself with others that thought they knew it all. Because it was all about study, 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 reading Hebrew, paleo-Hebrew. More knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge. But I ended up having a real trial in my life. And I came to the end of myself and all of my knowledge, all of my intellectualism, all of my logic, all of my reason, it failed me. Oh, I contacted people wiser than myself and they couldn't help me. Oh, I contacted rabbis, pastors, scholars, and they couldn't help me. Oh, I poured through the book of Job. I poured in all of my understanding, all of my study for months and months. It couldn't answer why I was in the trial that I was in. And at the end of the day, I came to my end of myself on the ground in tears. And I cried out in faith. And I, in humbleness, in faith, Yahweh took me all the way back to the beginning of my first love when I was 24. My logic, my reason, my intellectualism, everything that I know and have studied, it failed me. But my faith in the risen Messiah is what carries me through. That is my testimony. So now I am empowered with the faith that I had when I first came to salvation. I am just as fired up. But now... I can study well. But I understand that that is not going to help me. All of this never will help me in my trial and adversity. It is this. It is the faith that he has placed within me. And by the increase of faith, great things happen. But it's that same faith I had when I was 24 years old, when I was a heathen and I cried out, yes, and I got saved. That's my first love. There's my testimony, short version. But he goes on to say, Do not think of himself more highly than he should, but to think soberly, as Yahweh has dealt to every man to the measure of faith. For as we have many members of the one body of Israel, and the older I get, the more thankful I get for each and every one of you. Because I could not do this without you all knowing that I don't have to defend the word of Yahweh. Yahweh will defend it. And guess what? There's a lot of people that will pick up the word of Yahweh that is sharper than a two-edged sword, and they will go out to battle for the Torah and for the testimony of Yahushua. We're talking the book of the covenant Torah. The understanding that the saints have 
is there, easy to slay down the Levitical hierarchy. And it cannot stand. So it goes a scurrying off, a scurrying off. And we go on to see in verse 4, For as we have many members of the one body of Israel, and all the members have not the same role, so we are being many, are one body of Israel in the Messiah, and each one members one, one to another. I want to finish up with one of my favorite architectural passages. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 26. We won't spend long there. But this is talking about the construction of the tabernacle. But remember in Acts chapter 15, he says, and we're going to raise up the tabernacle of David. Does he not? The message gone out to the nations of the resurrected Messiah, everything that he's done through his resurrection is going to raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. What does that mean? It's going to be to all 12 tribes. It's going to be a restore kingdom. Everybody's going to come in. We're going to, just like Isaiah says in the 51st chapter, we are going to lengthen the cords. We're going to broaden the stakes. We're going to drive those stakes in deep and we are going to extend the curtain. We are making this tent way bigger because we have got to make room for all of the little sheepy that are going to come in from the pasture. That's what Isaiah says in the 51st chapter. And it's inspiring to me. It's inspiring to me. But in Exodus chapter 26, you'll notice that it says, set in order one against each other. Is that the seventh verse? Set in order one against each other. In the Hebrew, mishbalot ishana el echotah, and equally connected each one to its sister. That's what it says in the construction of the tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 26, verse 17, there's a Hebrew word, tenon. Tenon, yated, and it means nail. A nail is what is going to hold the whole structure of the congregation together, which will make each one of us equally connected, each one to its sister. That's the teaching from Exodus. In the Masoretic text, Yated is spelt Yad, which means hand. So a nail connected to the hand is what holds the whole structure together. And that's even in the Septuagint. It's the nail connected to the hand that holds the whole tabernacle together. And the once you pull that nail out, then the whole tabernacle will be raised up. We're talking resurrection. That's right within the Hebrew of Exodus chapter 26. (laughs) Take your Levitical hierarchy and hump that. Seriously. That's inspiring. You see, I don't believe that Yeshua was a carpenter. Because the Greek word is tekton, carpenter, sure. But the Hebrew word 
is chrash. It means designer. He was an architect. He was an architect, a master craftsman. He was the architect. And now you can see in Exodus chapter 26, verse 30, and you shall raise up, come the tabernacle according to the fashion of that it was shown to you on the mount. Now you shall raise up, the Hebrew word there is come for the tabernacle, but in the Septuagint, how they translate that Hebrew word come is the Greek word anesthesis. And in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Testament, what do they use that Greek word anesthesis for? Resurrection. Resurrection. So the resurrection of Yahusha is what brings about what we're talking about today. That's why I couldn't get further than seven verses, because it's my calling to teach. I'm one part of the body, not greater or lesser. We are all equipped together. Now I teach, therefore you now go dig through the word of Yah and equip, and go out and equip others. But we have to be discerning. We have to be discerning in these days, and we have to renew our mind. Myself, I've got to guard myself from watching too much news to try and put world events currently in with Scripture. It's important, but I don't want to spend too much time doing that because it can diminish my thinking. And that thinking can spark carnality and old behaviors, which I don't want. So I've got to continually renew my mind, be around the brethren, but we need to be focused because this temple deception, the Daniel deception that I've now shown to you here is key. I hope you wrote those pencil notes down in your Bible because it is actually going to be the calling back of the sacrifice will be the turning away from Yahusha. That is the abomination because they are turning from the realm of Yahusha to an abominable realm. And it is going to be led by those that are prideful in the Levitical priesthood hierarchy of the Temple Institute, both Hebrew roots, Messianic, and of course, those who are, say they are Jews and are not, but are in fact synagogue of Satan, all wrapped up together. It's because... We fell for the lie of Judeo-Christianity and all of its hybrids in the 20th century. And now we're reaping its rewards. Let's renew our minds with the thinking of the early Nazarenes. The sect of the Nazarenes, the early Ebionites, that understood the context within the first three centuries of how the Orthodox believers and followers of Yahushua understood the writings of Paul in regard to you are what? That living sacrifice, it is your what, does it say? Your logical service unto Yahweh. Amen. Questions, thoughts, comments. And next week we'll go from verse 7, I promise, all the way to the end of the chapter. This, this is kind of more so of a um, just comment based off the uh, what we were talking about, the I think the tabernacle, right? 
um, in Exodus. Yeah. We were just in. 26. And, and the, the Yod. And it made me, it kind of brought me back to some conversations I've had, I think especially coming out of like normal mainstream Bibles where it's just God and Lord and you have no idea that there's an actual name and then you come to know that and and then coming to the Ten Commandments and knowing how important that is and what in vain means uh, to, to debase the name, to bring lower. So, we're, you know, and that's changed. Um, but I know one of the things I've come across that really sealed the importance of the name is looking at some of the Paleo-Hebrew and how it's hand behold, nail behold. I believe is is a yod he wahe. And that what you were just saying, that the, the hand and that, and that stake keeping everything together um, is that just reinforces that point. And it, it, again, brought me back to those conversations of how reluctant people are to actually learn the name. Oh. And it's fascinating to me. Even if you point out and you break down what in vain means, they're like, well, I'm just not swearing. They're like, but no, it that's brings not. to vain emptiness. Right, right. And, and, and just the, the imagery that you pointed out in um, the... Uh, Old Testament there, and how that ties in with his name, and it's just, it's all encompassing, and what we just went through is, is really fascinating. And it's a disgrace to me that in this day and age, the nations fear the name of the Mohammedans God, and they fear that name. And that's our charge, not through misconduct, but through holy conduct, that the nations would fear the name of Yahuwah because we were being rightful, honorable representatives. But instead, the heathen infidel, the followers of the Mohammedan, are in fact bringing fear to the nations through a satanic force because we have left our charge. Because people don't know the difference between G-O-D, all caps, Capital G, lowercase O D. People don't know the difference between all caps L O R D, capital L, lowercase O R D, and you know it's all the same. But it's not. It's not. Yes, over here. The scripture that it states, "My house will be a house of prayer," has been used, especially I know. Last year, of a one world house of prayer. And we have to realize if we're the temple saying we need to be the one praying for the nations, as far as individually, not establishing a one house for everyone to go up to right. as the nations to pray. So you've got to be careful not to take these texts and use, turn it into universalism, is what you're saying. Yeah, which is, of course, what um, is the um, status quo today, is universalism. And we'll get into that in chapter 13. Uh, there's one Internet question, and that was on the word lifted up, the Strong's number, or what word was that, that they could look oh. that up? Yeah, let's find that. That was in... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, for lifted up was the, uh, was the Hebrew word rom, and it was used, um, it, they use it to, as taken away, but it's really raising, lifted up, or exalted. Strong's number 7311. 
And the other Hebrew word that we were talking about was the Hebrew word Strong's number 5493, which is used in um, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, mistranslated as taken away. But that really means turning, turning from the realm of Yahusha to an abominable realm. That is going to be a problem, and that is going to be a time when we are being watchful to see and to discern. So, Abba, we pray, Abba, for increased discernment. We thank you, Abba, for your people. We thank you for your word, Abba, and we thank you, Abba, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce beer, bone and marrow and pierce asunder. Oh, Father, you are our Elohim. Oh, Abba, we ask that you would truly, truly guard and protect us in Yahusha's mighty name. We ask, Abba, for a quickening in this day, Abba, as you bring forth your saints in the revelation of your word, that you would bring us one and two and three together as, Abba, we gather for your Shabbat and your feasts in great anticipation in the days to come. In Yahusha's mighty name. Amen. Amen.